0: You've heard of that, right? Now, why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? It's because he was taken as a captive from his country, Israel, and thrown into Babylon as a slave. He was taken as a slave. And then as a slave, he was commanded not to pray at one point to his God, and he refused to listen. And because he prayed, they thrown him in a lion's den, but God protected him. How many have ever heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown in the fire, in the fiery furnace? Once again, those were his friends, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they would not bow down to an idol. So imagine young people right here, you being captured, taken to China, forced to worship their gods, yet you don't and they threaten to kill you but God spares you. That's what was going on in these books. Now as we've read through the other prophets, it comes right in line with Daniel because Daniel is someone living in captivity and other prophets that we've already learned about like Isaiah and Jeremiah talked about them going into captivity. Why is the application of Daniel so important to us today? The book of Revelation quotes more from Daniel than any other book. So the New Testament Christian used the Old Testament Bible. Just as a review, the Old Testament only meant the covenant and deal that God was making with the Jews. So when that time came for the Gentiles to have the message and Jesus comes as the Messiah for the whole world, now the New Testament is going to be written. But how are they going to write a New Testament without knowing? Knowing the Old Testament. It's like, how are you gonna to go to second grade unless you know first grade? So when you read your Bible, guess who they're quoting the whole time? They're quoting the prophets, the Old Testament guys. And so Daniel actually deals with the end times. And so when John the Revelator is writing things about the end times that we're still waiting to see, who do you think God is gonna have him reference all the time? He's gonna reference Daniel. So if we look to Daniel as a great example for times of suffering and persecution, we can be blessed but we can also look to Daniel as a representative of what the world is going to come to in the end, what it's going to be like and how we should be. Well, one of the things that Daniel talks about is that people at his time were sinning and they were facing judgment and they needed to repent. How much more so for us to take that message and apply it to us, our people are sinning and our people need to repent. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So let's not be discouraged by hearing about sins and today Message of repentance. Let's look at it the same way you would get excited if someone was talking about paying off your car note. How many would like to have that done for you today? Or someone's going to pay off your mortgage or your school loans. Repentance is the way that God pays our debts, takes our sins. So if you're here today and you're upset about having to hear about sin and repentance, that means you have a major issue with your Creator. You're trying to be in charge down here and you're not. So just humble yourself. Get over yourself and understand you didn't make this place. You don't make the rules. Now, if you trust what he has said in his word, you will see that his way is the best way. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, they had 613 commands. We don't have as many in the New Testament. Ours are summarized with loving God and people. They had that too. And then it went to a lot of civil laws for how they could run their government, how they would do things in the ceremonial laws with their temple and their priests, priestly laws. Well, why don't we have all of those laws? Well, because when Jesus came, he said, you don't go to a temple. Now you're the temple. He said, you're not supposed to run governments anymore. That was for a time for the Israel nation to be kept Safe, So the Messiah could come and save the world. So they had to have a government. He said now that his government is not of this world, the kingdom of God is within. That doesn't mean we can't have godly people in government. It just means that we don't follow the law of government of the Old Testament. We don't stone rebellious children. We don't stone adulterers. How many could say amen to that? But guess what remains from Old Testament to New Testament? The moral law. And it would only make sense that it would remain. It's not like God's going to say in the Old Testament, thou shalt not lie, and then the New Testament would be like, hey, boys, I'm cool with it now. Lie as much as you want. So that's why when we look to sexual ethics of the Old Testament, they apply to the New Testament, but not the dietary law. The dietary law was for a specific group of people. God was using that to teach separation. But when we look at laws about marriage and homosexuality, they still apply because God still believes in marriage being one man, one woman. Jesus reiterated that. The apostles reiterated that. But they were clear to say, we don't have to keep the diet laws. We don't have to keep the priestly laws or the governmental civil laws. Does everybody get that? Okay, because I don't want you to be confused about why we only use certain parts of it to apply to our lives. All of it is good for our example, but only certain of the commands are applicable for us in the New Testament. And that's where sometimes people get it's sassy and they go, "Oh, you Christians, you just pull out things out the Old Testament and then you ignore all the rest. We're not ignoring it. Jesus told us not to do it. He was very clear about it. Paul was clear about it, but what we were to keep doing were the moral laws of the Old Testament. So Old Testament, New Testament, bridged together by the cross of Jesus. What image am I making right now? A cross? who's on the cross? Jesus? He fulfills the Old Testament law. He then initiates a new covenant through the blood that he shed for us. He said, that's why we take communion. This is the blood of the new covenant. And then he said, here are your commands, and then follow them, and the apostles taught them. So let's look to Daniel chapter 9 and learn about how to repent of sin. Sin is anything that God has told us not to do. It's a violation of his character. So always remember this. The law represents the character of God. Just like in your house, you have rules and they represent your your character. So I used to hang out with some of my friends and their moms used to smoke weed and let us smoke weed there. Sir, in their house, they did not have a rule against kids smoking pot in the house. How many know that reflects their character? Okay, my parents did not let me even smoke cigarettes, not only in the house, but on their property. How many know that reflects their character? Okay, so when God says, thou shall not murder, how many of that reflects his character? Thou shall not lie, that reflects his character. When he talks about one man and one woman, that reflects his character. When he talks about the child being a child in the womb and not just a a glob of tissue, that reflects his character. So now understand this. If you break laws, what are you really doing to God? You're breaking his heart because you're going against his character. Just like as if in your house you were to break the rules of your mom, you're breaking her heart because her rules rules represent our character. How many get that? Amen. So it's not complicated. It's not legalism. It's not Christians trying to change you and get in your business. What it's simply doing is saying, I take God serious. So when God, the creator of the universe speaks, I listen and obey. Daniel's in a time when they had not listened and obeyed. They were captured and put into a foreign nation. And now let's go to verse one. It says, in the first year of Darius, son of exertion, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord. According to what? The word of the Lord. One more time, according to what? The word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Just just keep the scripture in front of me. Just go down a little bit, please. Thank you, right there. Now, I want everybody to get this. Jeremiah was a prophet before Daniel, And he said Israel was going to be captured for 70 years. Daniel was a small boy at that time. Now he has been captured according to what Jeremiah, his pastor, said to him. And now that he's there as a middle aged man, he realizes that not only did Jeremiah prophesy that it would happen, but there would be a timeline. So then he knows wow, in 30 plus more years, 40 years, whatever it was at that time, we'll be let out of here. But guess what we know from history? Daniel didn't live much more than 70 years, so almost his whole life was in captivity. I want everybody to understand this. Just because you may live your whole life where abortion is legal doesn't mean there's not hope for it to end seriously. You may live your whole life where homosexuality is normal in your culture. That doesn't mean that's the way it's always going to be. You may live your life, your 70, 80 years, and think that it's normal to see gangs and violence and corruption, etc. But that does not mean it's going to always be that way. Daniel had enough courage to believe God was going to keep his word, even if he wasn't going to live long enough to see it. How many are willing to do that? So Daniel was a righteous man, looks at the scriptures and goes, wow, we're in this place because we've disobeyed, and we need to start obeying so that we'll be ready to be set free in 70 years, and even if I don't live that long, I'm going to start doing it right now. That needs to be applied to every single one of our lives. Just because evil is all around you now, just because all you know is the oppression of the devil now, does not mean it's always going to be that way. There is hope. Where is our hope found? Not in the Jeremiah passage, because that was for their 70 years in judgment. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ saying he'll be back. Our hope is found that one day Jesus says, vengeance is mine. God will repay those who have done these things to us. He will judge, the Bible says, and he will wipe away every one of your tears. And guess what? Between now and judgment, we also have other promises, promises that the gospel will go to all the nations, that signs and wonders will follow as we preach, miracles will happen. So we're not just supposed to hold on until Jesus comes back, we're supposed to be saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do I have any kingdom ambassadors in this place today that want to plunder hell and populate heaven? How many of you want to bring the kingdom of light till it overcomes the darkness? And that can be your motivation no matter what you're facing. That was the motivation of the Christian abolitionists in the 1800s. Their ultimate hope was in Jesus, but they still understood that as long as they're here they could change the culture and thank God that they did this was the same right uh, the same thing of the women's rights movement the Christian women who led that Christians were feminists at one time believe it or not because they weren't trying to kill women in the womb okay these were the real feminists of that time just asking for the equal rights as God said both male and female were made in their image uh, made in the image of God and then the Christians of the civil rights era just look at all the good the church has done just in this nation because they knew the ultimate hope was in Jesus, but there was work to be done. And as I had on the pastor and leader of black genocide, he's a pastor that stands against the abortion, especially in the black community. I had him on my Facebook a couple of days ago. You can look it up. He talked about Martin Luther King using church history when he wrote his letter to inspire the Christians of that day because in church history, we stopped infanticide because Romans had the right to throw away children that they didn't want for them to die and to drown, and Christians stopped them. Christians stop the gladiator arenas from butchering people. We were a part of cultural change then, and we can be a part of it now, and of course we can do it again. Amen? It can still happen. So if Martin Luther King Jr. had enough sense to look back at what the church did and apply it to the civil rights, how much more so could we do it now for the life of the unborn or for the purity of our children so they're not indoctrinated with perverse sexuality or to teach the children now that are being drawn into gangs or to corruption in our politics, we can look to the Bible, the example of the church, and apply it to our lives. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Very simple. Daniel says, I'm going to look back in the Bible and find out what's going on. He finds out that they're in a lot of trouble. It's because they've broken God's commands, but God has a plan, and it's going to happen in his lifetime or not, but he's going to be a part of it. And then what he does is he then repents, okay? And I want you to notice this in just a few moments. As he repents, because we're going to read his whole prayer of repentance, as he repents, he doesn't keep saying those guys, those people, those ones, those people over there. He always uses the phrase, we have sinned. We have done this against you because in the prayer that he's praying, it's called intercession. In intercession prayer, you, you identify and take on the sins of the people you're praying for, not that you've done them, but you take on the responsibility before God and use the universal we have sinned because you're saying to God, if they don't have enough sense to pray for their sins, I have enough sense to pray for their sins. Is anybody listening to that? Okay, because now I want to show you the sins of our culture. Please put up that picture. Because as I begin to read what he repented for, I want you to understand. Click on it, please. I want you to understand what you need to repent for. Get a good look at this picture. I know there could be a lot more pictures, and you may say, Pastor, you're missing some. Okay, you put yours up on Facebook today, and I'll like it, all right? Because here are some of the most major ones we see right now. We see homosexuality being promoted. And I want to start with Ellen and Portia right here, because many of you didn't grow up when the movement was starting. I did, so I'm a product of the 80s. The, man, the first homosexual that I ever met was my hairstylist. He eventually died of AIDS but that was the first homosexual I met. This was before they could marry and all these things. And here's what they would say to us. Here's what they would tell us, even as Christians and as people who are traditional marriage. This is what they would say. All we want is just to marry. And we would say back to them, no, 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 no. We know that's not all you want. Once you marry, you're going to want to teach it to our children. You're going to want to put it in our schools. You're going to make it workplace law. If we disagree with you, you're going to call it discrimination. And they said, all you Christians, you're so conspiratorial. You're just looking at it from that perspective. You're just going out of control. That's not what we're going to do. We're not going to dress up as transvestites and have a public reading at the library to children. All we want is just to marry and leave you alone. But they were lying. Those that were leaders in the movement, many of them were pedophiles and wrote pro-pedophilia material. And so what turned out like this eventually went to this. The perversion wasn't something that could be stopped because once they opened up the door to it's not God's way, it's whatever feels right, now you can do a whole lot of other things because that feels right too. And a lot of people would say, Pastor, how did that happen? I want everyone to look up at me and let me tell you how it happened. It happened because all the Christians at that time, I should say most, who were supposed to stand against it couldn't. You know why? Because they were addicted to porn. They were on their second and third marriage, and they were beginning to say back to the homosexuals, well, I guess if I don't take this part serious about one man and one woman in my life for marriage to death do us part, then why should I hold you accountable to being with one man and one woman? Go ahead, man and man. Because the church was sick and not able to stand up for righteousness, they sided with sin and basically set an agreement. I won't mess with you on your homosexuality. Don't mess with me on, me, on my adultery, on my second or third marriage. So before it ever was about homosexual marriage and homosexuality and perverseness that way, it was first perverseness and heterosexual marriage, uh, distant fathers, not staying together. Anytime you wanted a divorce, just get it so you can move on to the next one. And then we, I, we see in this picture abortion. Now, you see, it seems to be complicated to some, because I've done some debates on my page this week, uh, you know, past week, that people just want to call this a glob of tissue, You see, right here, you can look at that as a glob of tissue, or you can see toes, fingers, kneecaps. Look up when you have time, a 19-week-old fetus, and tell me what you see. Just in fetal development, I believe the fetus is a person, but I'm helping you to do a Google search. You tell me what that is, and right now in Chicago, you can murder a child in the womb all the way up to 19 weeks. If we do not become human at conception when we get our own DNA, then tell me when do we become human? When we take our first breath? Well, what about when you can't breathe and you're choking? Are you no longer human? Is it when you have your consciousness? Okay, well, then my six-month-old is not conscious yet, can't have a conversation. When do you become human if it's not at conception? Well, you know what plays right off of that and people don't see it? The, the pastor from Black Genocide sees it is once you degrade what a person is to a status that you can kill it, now you've got racism with those who are alive but aren't persons or those who are outside of the womb. Do you know that the father of DNA... The man who found the DNA strand and helped decipher it and do all of that, do you know that he is now testing Africans to prove to the world that Africans are a subset species of the human race? Where do you think he got that from? Do you think he just made that up? you think he's just a stupid nincompoop? No, he got it from the theories of evolution. If evolution is true, if we came from the goo through the zoo to you, then there must be those here that are closer to the zoo. Let's start with the ones that look like them. Yeah, that's what racism is. See, the scientist who's promoting evolution thinks he's so smart, but he doesn't know that his whole theory of evolution is all the doctrine the racist needs. Just look it up. Black people come from monkeys. I've sadly had to study this so I could tell you about it today. There are some pictures that I cannot even put up here. They're that, that gross and disgusting. But I'm telling you, that's all the slave trader needed was the belief of evolution. Now he could justify what he was doing because they, weren't, they didn't have souls. That's all the person needs to do to kill a baby in the womb. They don't have a soul. And that's all that Nazi Germany needed to do was to point at Jews and say they don't have a soul. This is the evil of our day. And so then you got little Wayne who represents what the young people want. And by the way, he's already out in most young people's minds, right? He's not even crazy enough now. But he's already tattooed his whole face. He's already done enough damage with drugs and all of that to get the whole young people now following the the next direction of evil. He did his demonic job is what I'm saying. And now everybody can keep following the next group. Snoop Dogg was in my generation, then it was him. You know, it just keeps passing on down. When are we going to learn, my friends, that drug addiction and drug use is witchcraft. It spiritually gives the devil an open door to your mind and soul. Oh, no, it's okay. It's just like medicine. Well, the difference between me taking medicine and this guy smoking weed and sipping on NyQuil is that I use it to heal my body. They're using it to destroy their body and their mind. And I don't keep taking medicine when I'm healthy. Are you guys listening to me? And so they have twisted what God gave us for a purpose. They, they've twisted, it. they take NyQuil, put it with Sprite, they smoke weed, all of these things which could have had a proper method of healing or a proper way of being used. And I have no problem with medical anything, medical heroin, medical cocaine, medical marijuana. Why? Because you use what God gave us here. But just because I believe in those things doesn't mean I'm going to abuse those things until it takes away my sober mind. Your sober mind is a gift that God gave you in your soul. My wife will even tell you what it was like using those drugs when she went through the accident and her ankle was broke. They gave her all of the strong ones like Oxycontin and all these different kinds of pain-killing drugs that some teenager would probably want to steal and go sell to his high school friends. Okay, She'll tell you as the pain decreased in her body and she kept taking the same dosage, it dulled her mind. And she knew that wasn't a place she was supposed to be. And so she began to cut down her pain medication as she was feeling the pain go away. Are you listening? Isn't that just common sense? And then you see here the gangs and the violence. If you would have told me, I'm just being honest with you, even in my day, if you would have told me that there is going to come a time in my generation where people are going to tattoo their whole entire body and live like pagans used to live, worshiping themselves, drinking blood, taking these oaths, I would have said, you are crazy. And now that's what literally gangs are in this culture, aren't they? Yeah. Gangs, they take blood oaths. They practice witchcraft, many of them. We have chiefs in this uh, church that have gotten saved, and, and they, they practice witchcraft. Why? Because you have to be possessed of the devil to do the violence and the wickedness that they do. How many know in your common sense there is no way that you could point a gun at a group of kids or a family and shoot them all up indiscriminately? Even if you were in war, you, just, you couldn't do it in your conscience. And yet that's the mindset they have to have to go do what they're going to do. Like I said, we could keep a, uh, we could keep, I could keep you here all day with pictures of corruption and the government and greed and, and all of these other kinds of things like abuse and sex trafficking. So I want you to think about it. Don't take the picture down. I'm now going to read Daniel's prayer. And every now and then, look at your scriptures. If you've got a phone or a Bible, look it up, Daniel 9, verse 4. And then look up here as well to remind yourself what we're repenting for. Daniel said in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love With those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Look at this as you look at the scriptures. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us. Because we have sinned against you, you have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster <clears throat> excuse me has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn, to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Everybody say, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Just a few more moments looking at this gross picture because I want us to get it in our heart. We have to ask Jesus to forgive us. We have to. If you look at this picture and go, well, I'm not one of these folks, I'm not one of them, that's Daniel. Daniel wasn't any of this either, but Daniel still prayed for his people. And one of them that I didn't get a a, a chance to touch on yet is false religion. And look at how quickly we believe all these lies now. All of these lies about who we think Jesus is. Maybe you've heard people say, well, Jesus would never judge that. Or I don't think my Jesus would ever do that. And that's true. Your Jesus would never judge a homosexual or judge abortion or judge these kinds of things. You know why? Because your Jesus doesn't exist. Your Jesus is a figment of your imagination. And it's almost like they want to put Jesus on the buffet of religion right next to Buddha and right next to Krishna. As if they've kind of done the same thing, you know? And I've heard that before. You know, we're happy for you Christians. You have Jesus in the cross and we have Buddha and Nirvana. And I'm like, come on, let's be honest for a second. Let's think about this. You're saying a man going under a tree, detaching himself from his wife and children, this is the same as God coming in the flesh, living a perfect life, dying on that cross for our sins, raising himself from the dead, and then ascending to heaven? Come on, man, you are deceived. Where's Buddha's grave? Let me see it. Where's Muhammad's grave? Let me see it. You can't find my Jesus' body in a grave because his body's been taken to heaven. It's not even comparable. Are you listening? But yet the world wants to say they're all the same. Okay, let's come off of this scripture. Come off this picture to the scripture, please. When we look at what he was complaining about, uh, that, that he was saying they were repenting about, rather, it was about the command. Scroll up a little bit, please. Scroll up to the top part, please. You'll see the commands are found in Deuteronomy chapter, where is it? You have to go back up. Okay, let's, let's pretend this is my hand here. Okay, do this, sir. There you go. Do this. Do that. There you go. Was it down here? Stop right here. Keep going. Keep going. I might have had it at the wrong spot. Keep going. Right here. Stop. Boom. Let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Somebody say, God said. How many believe it matters if God said it? Okay, so let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. This was their covenant. This was their laws. This was the portion of scripture that God held them accountable to. Notice what it says. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, have been poured out on us because we sinned against you. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, and you'll see how God told them when he gave them the law, there would be blessings if they kept it, and curses if they didn't. Looking at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, it says, however, well, let's just go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. Let's just see the blessings first, and then we'll go to the curses. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God. Do you all see that? How are you supposed to obey him? Fully. Hold your finger right there, and let's see if they can keep up with me in the back. Go to Matthew, chapter 28, because I just want to bridge Old Testament and New Testament together. Can I do that? Okay, just, you know, Bring up two passages of Scripture on your phone if you can, or open up another window and use Bible Gateway. But I, I just want you to see how these two passages from Old Covenant to New Covenant, how they relate to each other. So think about it like this. In Deuteronomy, he's, been, he's told them all 613 laws, and now he says, if you obey me, you're blessed. If you disobey me, you're cursed. Now go to Matthew chapter 28. Let's see it up there, please. And go to verse 18, and then you'll see, The fully obeying is in both passages. It is there in the old covenant and in the new covenant. So there's no way around this to go, I'm going to partially obey. Okay, look at verse uh, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the what? The Holy Spirit. Now, watch this teaching them to do what? Obey how many things? everything I have commanded you, or to fully obey everything I've commanded you. Now go right back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Jesus told them in the New Testament, you've got to obey everything. Moses said that God told them you've got to obey everything. Does everybody get it? Has there ever been a time when God gave a command and he said some of these are optional? You know, just like take the ones you like, don't do the ones you don't like. It's okay. It's not a big deal. No, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, those are the old covenant laws. Obey them. New Testament, Jesus says, now you obey them and teach them to everybody. Let's keep going. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now go to verse 15. Go to verse 15. It says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these what will come on you? All these curses will come on you and overtake you. Now let's go to the end of the book. and Go to Revelation. And let's see who is cursed at the end. Who is cursed? Blessings and curses are found in the book of Revelation. And if, let's, let's say you go to Revelation chapter 21... Start in verse 7, Revelation chapter 21, verse 7 says, Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God. They will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning salt for this is a second death. And remember, when it says practice magical arts, that word in the Greek, magical arts, pharmakia, is also drug use. Pharmacia. What does that sound like, pharmakia? Pharmaceuticals, pharmacy. So in their context, using drugs was a part of witchcraft, and still it is the same today. Just to give you an insight to that. But now go to Revelation 22, blessings and curses again. So that's the curse of those who don't follow the Lord. But go to uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are all those who wash their robes that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magical arts, drug use, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Does everybody see it? Old Testament, blessings and curses. When Israel didn't do it right, their nation was cursed, brought into captivity. That's where Daniel is at. He's praying for repentance. Now New Covenant, we're giving commands with blessings and curses. And what is that speaking to? The judgment day to come now for the whole world. It's not just about Israel getting blessings and curses. It's about the whole world getting blessings and curses. So it is up to you to look at Daniel and take him at his word and go, I'm going to be a righteous person. Now go quickly to Deuteronomy one more time in the Old Testament, and then I'll bounce back one more time to the New Testament. Let's just do Holy Ghost aerobics one more time. You all ready? You guys getting a spiritual workout working the Word? Come on, somebody say, work the Word, and it will work for you. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 is before Deuteronomy 28. It's actually at the beginning of God listing off all the laws, And he kind of summarizes what it's all going to be about. And then he tells them all the laws and ends with Deuteronomy 28 and says, you get blessings if you keep them, you get curses if you don't. So just like chapter 10 comes before chapter 28, chapter 10 is the introduction to everything 28 is going to talk about. The reason why I want you to see it is because I could read this to you in the New Testament and you would think it applies to you word for word. Just listen to Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord ask of you? So I could say it like this. Uh, Chicago, what does the Lord ask of you? Christians, what does the Lord ask of you? So this is so uh, what we would call transcovenantal. It goes from both covenants. It is so clear. There is no way around this. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to what? To love him, to serve the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with all your soul. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul? Who said that? Jesus also said that, didn't he? Where did he get that from? He got it from the Old Testament. Now, of course, we know he inspired the Old Testament, so he's basically quoting himself. But he's teaching us that he's not against the law. The law of the, the people of Israel served a purpose for a time, and then there was a new law, a new covenant, the law of Christ that is now until judgment time. And so both laws were to be honored and respected. But sometimes we look back on the Jews and we think, man, they, they were just you know, trying to do their best, and man, I feel sorry for them because I couldn't keep 613 laws, and we don't understand it. God always knew that it was impossible for them to keep all 613 laws. It was their job to love God and have God change them so they could keep the laws. And so in honesty, when we look at the Jews of the New Testament, it's not that these are the righteous Jews that have tried so hard and just failed. No, these are the ones that missed the whole point. That's why Jesus keeps rebuking them and correcting them. But if you want to see a good Jew, a law-abiding Jew, look at David in Psalm 119. He writes a whole entire Psalm based on the Jewish alphabet saying every letter is a representation of a thing he loves about the law of God. So imagine me writing a song like, A is for Adam. When he fell into sin, God redeemed him. B is for Bible, the word that we get. So he literally writes Psalm 119 based on every letter in the Hebrew alphabet, a love song about the law. The law was beautiful, the law was great, but it was never meant to save. What salvation was for the Jew and the Gentile has always been faith. That's why he said the just shall live by faith in the Old Testament. Abraham lived by faith. And then out of faith, what do you do? You obey, just like what it says That's what he was asking him. To, to love the God, the Lord their God, to obey him, and to, you know, to have faith and to obey him. And so it doesn't matter what covenant you were in, it was still the same. Have faith, love God, and then obey his commands. Okay, so now let's go to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 6, and then we'll get to repent. How many are ready to repent? Amen. Some of you are like, man, I wish the service would be over. Well, it's going to end with you repenting. Are you you're in that much of a hurry? Let's take our time and get there. Because it's not ending with the party. It's ending with repentance. And then guess what? You'll have a party because you'll feel your conscience be relieved of your sins. And then you can know that you love your enemy. See, when I repent for the sins of my nation, it gives me compassion for those who are committing those sins. Because the Bible says, ultimately, I'm not fighting against flesh and blood, though I thank God for our soldiers and our police officers and all those who protect us. Ultimately, the one influencing them is the devil. That's why when these people keep dying, the lies keep continuing. So we need to pray that they get out of the lie, that they freely choose to follow Jesus. Now, John chapter 14, verse 6 shows us the place of Jesus. Moses was the lawgiver in the Old Testament, just a normal prophet, born of a woman, just like a normal person was. Jesus, son of God in flesh, born of a virgin, now starts saying who he is and makes it clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Could any mere man say that and be considered a good guy or just a prophet? No. You're either the son of God, a unique uh, a person in the Trinity, or you are blaspheming. For you to say, you know, you can't get to God except through me, that's a big problem. Moses didn't even say that. So Jesus is very clear now. The new covenant is not going to come through another mediator. The old covenant came through a mediator named Moses and all these other prophets. Now the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ. Jesus. Does everybody get that? Amen? A lot of good theology today. Now go to verse 16. uh, Verse 15, rather. John 14, 15, like as if you were counting. 14 and then 15. John 14, 15 now says what he teaches us as the leader of the new covenant, as God's son. What does he tell us? And just, you know, answer this. Does it sound familiar? Look at verse 15. If you what? If you love me, keep my commands. We heard that in Deuteronomy, didn't we? Love God. Keep his commands. That's all that he's asking for us, from us. So let's go back to that picture before we start repenting. Let's go back to it and put it all together. I hope you've gotten a good Bible lesson today. I wanted to give you good doctrine, good Bible theology, study the word so you can understand this. Are we picking on them? No. No, we're not. Are we saying any one of us is better than them? No, Romans chapter three, I read it in the first service, I won't do it here. Romans chapter three says all of us have sinned. So there's none of us that can point at the sins of our culture and say, they're worse than me. Adam and Eve's sin was none of the things on this board and that was enough to bring the curse upon all the human race. The way I look at it and help explain it to people is imagine you're being pulled by a uh, like a tow truck and you got like 10 links of that chain that connect you from the tow truck to your vehicle. It doesn't matter which one of those links break. Once one breaks, now you are broken off from the tow truck. So the idea is, yes, these are the sins of our culture and they're bad and we need to pray and repent for them. But whatever sins we have committed deserve us to be separated from God as well. But at the same time as, as saying that, it's also wrong to just simply brush it all under the rug, you know, sweep it under the rug rather, and say, well, we're all sinners, And that's what I've heard people say. Well, we're all sinners, so it doesn't matter if I vote Democrat and they're supporting this because, you know, Republicans have their issues too. Okay, let me ask you a question. I'm not here saying you have to vote Republican, but what I'm simply saying is is this. Do Republicans kill 800,000 people a year? No, they don't kill 800,000 people a year. So if your cause is for justice, the first place you're going to say I can't vote for is people who kill 800,000. Is, everybody, is that of common sense? Now you can go to the Republican Party and say, well, I don't like them for this reason. Okay, move on and vote independent, vote third party, vote for your neighbor if you want. But how in God's green earth can you say I have a problem with racism, social justice, whatever, whatever but I am voting for people who keep 800,000 deaths legal a year? That's the height of hypocrisy, is it not? So if you're for pro-immigration and you love life and you want the immigrants to be treated right, don't vote for these demonic people who believe it's okay to kill 800,000 people. Don't do that because what's your value of immigrants? Where do you get your standard to value immigrants? Human dignity, right? Why would you say for human dignity's sake, I'm going to vote for an organization that destroys 800,000 human lives? Do you see the foolishness of it? So don't vote for them. And then if you say, well, I don't like how the Republicans, then don't vote for them either. But for sure, there's no way under God's green earth that anybody here can be under any confusion. These people tell you they want to commit abortion, and they're going to do it. That's their agenda. It's on their platform. Follow me on Facebook, okay, and you'll see it. So what's my point with that? What do pastors say back to me? Because I argued with a pro-choice Democrat pastor. What did he say? What he said was, you know what, we all have free will. We all make our own choices. Every party sins, every politician sins. So you know what, it's okay if I uh, vote for these people. My friends, if you cannot see the difference between 800,000 people dying a year and something going on at the border, you are an ethnic an ethical nincompoop. You are spiritually stupid. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if one of you walk out of here and say, I told you to vote Republican, you are a liar. What I'm telling you is if you can't vote Republican for these reasons, then you have 800,000 other reasons not to vote for these people. And until you see how your repentance follows your voting, you're not being serious as a Christian, Stop calling yourself a Christian and voting for people like this. That is not serious Christianity. And so when I was debating with the pastor, you know, he said, well, I don't want to be a one-issue voter. Well, 800,000 is a lot of issues. I got an issue with each one of them, right? Okay, but even then, it's one issue in his mind. I said, what if the issue was slavery? Would you vote pro-Democrat if they were still owning slaves as the Democratic Party once did? Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. Oh, slavery's so different. Oh, I wouldn't vote for a slave office or a person to be in office if they were slave owner. Well, what do you think this is? Let's just give you all a choice right now. Let's just give you a choice. We either enslave you or we do that to you. Which one are you wanting? At least if you enslave me, I have the hope of getting out of the slavery. What do you want done to your children right now? Be put in slaves and live like Kuta Kente or that? Come on, people. Are we stupid or what? Wake up. Wake up in this culture. Stop acting like you understand what this world is about. You don't, you're being so bamboozled and hoodwinked you don't even know. You don't have to vote. Republican, I don't give a rip who you vote for. The thing about this nation is you can write in your own vote. You can vote for Beyonce if you want. You can vote for whoever you want. But as Christians, stop voting for this. Amen. Can I get amen to that? Why do I get passionate about it? Because the Bible says he hates the hands that shed innocent blood. Our nation alone deserves to be judged like Sodom and Gomorrah just by this picture. Just by that picture, we deserve to be judged, let alone the other things that we are affirming. So my thing to us as a nation is we better wake up. You better wake up, Christian, because you're saying I'm cool with this the homosexual movement, they're going to be telling you if you don't say their pronouns, you don't say their words, you don't do these things, you don't allow them to give a sex change to your child, they're going to start giving you, firing you, taking away your job, fining you. They're doing it now to our military chaplains. They're doing it now in our public offices. You watch how Bernie Sanders, that Antichrist man, and Booker, that senator, how they interviewed a man for the job. They asked him, Over and over again, I think it was CIA or FBI They said over and over again What do you think about same sex marriage What do you think about this We heard that you led Bible studies like this They're coming for you next If that's what they're doing right now and getting away with it, what do you think they're going to do with you next? Oh, you want to be a teacher? Well, how do you feel when Jane wants to be called Jim? Oh, you want to be a gym teacher? How are you going to be in the locker room where Jim wants to be in Jane's locker room? Now, what are you going to do? Oh, you want to be in the military? What are you going to do? See what I'm saying? They're going to put you on the spot until they can get away with it, and then it's going to be law. They're just going to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Now, what what do I believe? I believe, hey, you could do whatever you want with your body. But don't tell me what to do with my body. Isn't that just the way it should be? And somebody says, well, well, that's the mother's body. It's all about the, I heard the pastor say the same thing. It's about the mother's body. Whose body's in there right now, sir? Is that the mother's feet? Is that the mother's kneecap? Is that the mother's fingers? This is the world we live in. Go to Romans chapter one. Let me show you who they are according to God. You want to see who they are? You want to see what the wicked are like today in this generation? Romans chapter 1. I'll show you who they are in God's grace. Amen. By God's grace. Look to Romans 1.18. How many want to repent of the sins of this nation? Amen. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Who suppress what? They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now watch verse 19 since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Go back to that picture. Go back to the picture, please. How many know it's plain to you that that's a person? How how many know it's plain to you? How many know two people like that don't make a baby? How many know the person that taught her how to do that is dead in the grave right now? That's common sense. How many know that a child shouldn't be cross-dressing in elementary school? How many know two men should not do this? How many know you shouldn't, how many know you shouldn't Do that to your body and want to kill and murder and make blood oaths? How many know you shouldn't drink NyQuil like it's a drink and smoke weed until you you know? How many know you shouldn't treat somebody that that has just a different color of dirt than you do that turns to dust any different than you? How many know that's common sense? How many know every single thing on there is common sense? God says they know it. Go back to Romans, please. But they refuse to know it. They're suppressing. Just like you got a basketball. You ever play basketball in a pool? Sometimes they'll have them there at the parks. You ever try to hold it under? What does it want to do? It wants to come up. Every time you push it down, it wants to come up that much harder. That's what suppression is. They're wanting to push down what they know is true, but what's it always doing? Trying to come back up. Trying to come back up. Amen? That's their conscience. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Do they have an excuse? Not one excuse. Now look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became what? Futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became What did they become? Please go back to that picture, fools. Look at it right here. Go back. That's not a body. That's just a bunch of tissue, fools. That's not a person. That's just a fetus, fools. This is a child doing what they like. This is what two men, oh, this is okay because we came from monkeys. Oh, you know what? It's a dog-eat-dog world. Oh, drugs are natural. Oh, it makes me feel better. It's foolish. You can make that pose all day long and play make-believe. It will not change the God of this universe and what he has told you to do. He is very clear as creator what he's given his creation to do. Do I believe in health and breathing techniques? Yes. But saying some silly mantra that you have learned from another man that is more sinful than you is not going to help you in this world. The only thing that's going to help us is keeping God's commands. And do we do them because we're so scared of him and and, and we just feel he's going to send us to hell? No, we do them because we know they reflect his character and they're the best thing for us. The best thing for families is mom and dad. That's the best things for families. What's the best thing for children? To be raised up in the things of God. What's the best thing for a culture? To honor God and honor their fellow man. What is the best thing for us to treat each other by? The golden rule. Do unto others as you want done unto you. What is the best way to solve our problems? Through justice and fairness, the scales of justice. That's how the world is supposed to operate. And if we don't today take our personal issues and sins and our culture sins and bring them to God, they're going to get a lot worse before they get better. But I want to believe that there's some Daniels in here today. And, and you may be young and you may be looking a long way off from 70 years of when the promise is going to come, but you're going to be like a Daniel and be faithful till it comes. I can just imagine Daniel as an old man maybe around that time that some of the people were released from Babylon to go back to Israel to build the temple. God's word was being kept at Jeremiah. I could just imagine Daniel as an old man. I used to pray for this, boys and girls. It's so good to see you pray again. I I was thrown into a lion's den for praying, but y'all can pray as much as you want now. Wouldn't that just be something? You're talking to your grandchildren. I remember when it was legal to kill children in this country. But thank God, me and my friends and our children, we fought against it. And now children can live in the womb. Y'all were used to gangs on the streets, but I'm so thankful now. They pray and read their Bibles in the town squares again. You say, Pastor, that's so stupid. Look back in American history. Look back on what African-American culture used to be, Latino culture, Anglo culture. Look what sin has done to us. Look at what it's done to us. You were not made for sin. You were made for glory. You were made in the image of God to experience heaven on earth. You were supposed to go to heaven and say, oh, it's familiar. It's like how it's been on earth. You weren't supposed to go to heaven and go, what is this place? It's so strange. You're supposed to feel familiar. But you know what? We've made it hell on earth. That's why when people go to hell, they'll be like, yeah, it was a lot like this on earth. But it's supposed to be heaven on earth until Jesus comes back. Can I get an amen for that? If you believe it, let's stand up and give it up for Jesus. Come on. We thank you, Lord.